0: Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating what can only be described as the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined by my childhood friend Chris Dow,
1: Cyberpunk Adventure,
0: and my adulthood friend Minty Booth. Can you cut me up an apple? And we are discussing our <laughs> top one hundred favourite video games. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> my favourite one, ridiculous. In announcement. Announcement. We are now knee deep in our season two of Our Three Cents and if you're enjoying this podcast as much as we are enjoying creating it then please check out our Patreon page where you can find a whole smattering of brilliant perks that you can pledge your support in order to receive. Such things as social media shoutouts and custom artwork and some amazing Patreon exclusive content such as deleted scenes and outtakes and full exclusive bonus episodes including our most recent one all about the best boss battles in video games. So if you don't want to miss out on all of that then Head over to patreon.com forward slash Our3Cents, pledge away and join in the fun. So, this week we have our number 43s. Bloody hell. But before we do that, it's time to establish a medieval tribunal in the 1400s in Southern Europe to uphold the Catholic orthodoxy in the realm. You won't expect this. It's the Spanish Inquisition.
2: (laughs) Great, yeah. (laughs)
0: That's a good one. The GTA series was developed by... Rockstar? I'm going to need a more specific answer. Rockstar North? Yes, absolutely correct. (laughs) The answer is Rockstar North. Well done, Chris. That is another point in the bag for you, sir.
2: Fist pump for that one. That's fine. I got the answer right last week. So who (laughs) is the real victor? (laughs) Who's counting? I mean, me. It's 31
0: to 26. I like those numbers. Ah. So what have we been playing this week? I'll tell you what I've been playing this week. Go on, then. I have been playing Donkey Kong Country on the SNES. Oh, you lad. (laughs) After obviously chatting about the Game Boy Color version last week, which I, I would have sworn blind that it was near identical to the original. And to be fair, like... In, when I started playing the Snes version, I still would have said this looks pretty much exactly the same. But then I did give the Game Boy Color version a go, and yes, the Snes version oh. is smoother and better looking. But I, I'm still really impressed with the, the Game Boy Color version, and it is—it's been nice to uh, to play through that. Obviously, I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing. Of course. Yeah. Of course. We've had a fishing tournament, and it's, well, it's bunny day today as of, as of recording this. So I've uh, managed to get some, some bunny goodness and do some fishing and get some more things. And yeah, I'm currently just, just pottering around my island, making it look pretty
1: lovely we also had obviously people won't be aware of this it was my birthday in the last week it was and Jonathan you very very nicely hosted me a, an isolation birthday party <laughs> uh, on, on your island in Animal Crossing and it was the absolute highlight of my day so thank you very very oh. much for that it was lovely mm. well you're very welcome
0: it was it was a lot of fun it's amazing how much stuff you can actually do in the game if you put a bit of creative thought into it such a such <laughs> party <laughs> games included what's in the hole Loved it. what's in the hole is just <laughs> one of my favorite
2: games in real life so <laughs> <laughs> see it's recreated so lovingly on this wonderful game that we've been playing it made it, made it feel like it was my birthday as well <laughs>
0: I, uh, I put a riddle on the bulletin board to guide Chris on a treasure hunt. It's very exciting! Which you uh, you did manage to find that was good. What else did we do? We did oh, we did some actual gambling. We did so using the <laughs> using the color wheel item, which is like a wheel of fortune spinning wheel that lands on a number between one and eight. I then made different colored numbered tiles to go on the floor so we would choose one of the tiles to stand on throw down some bells and then I'd spin the wheel and whosoever number came up then won all of the bells so we uh, we did that a few times to get the gambling going which was <laughs> which was good fun it was good fun I had the little field of holes with loads of random stuff in it so it was uh, one two three dig no, that was it one two three dig yeah oh it was just it was really good fun it was really nice to be able to do it and we had a zoom video chat going at the same time
2: so it was nice to actually see some people in facial form as it were <laughs> had Chris arrived on on the island, by the point that one of your villagers had wandered up, and we just bullied her away. <laughs> <laughs> no, I <forgot> about that. <laughs> she wandered very close to the field of holes yeah. and everybody just sort of swarmed her with their nets like, fuck off. <laughs> Butt out, Annalise. It's not your birthday.
1: <laughs> and you got some birthday presents? I did. In the game? I got some uh, some lovely wrestler boots. I got a drum kit. <laughs> <laughs> I, got a, uh, I got a wheelchair, courtesy of my brother.
0: <laughs> yep, because you're so
1: old now. Yes, thank you, Tom. It was
0: the, the, the gag there?
1: It was great. I, I genuinely do appreciate it a lot. So thank you to both of you and everyone else who was involved.
0: Oh, yeah you're very welcome indeed
2: how are you getting on in animal crossing minty well i'm very pleased to announce that i did all the bunny day recipes so i am now the proud owner of zero bunny day recipes but i have the capacity to make the bunny day wand Mm -hmm. Ah, i shan't but i can if i wanted to (laughs) and tomorrow the big event is that i've got Keek Slider coming to my island to Keek? do some sort of <laughs> some sort of concert, some sort of pub concert. <laughs> Lovely. I assume that's the final boss of the game. I don't know. Essentially, in many ways it is,
0: yes. You, I mean, the credits roll, don't they? After
1: K.K. Yeah, comes, exactly. the credits roll.
0: <laughs> he came back to my island on Friday night to play a little gig, and I requested my personal favourite K.K. Slider song, which is, of course, K.K. Condor, Ooh. which I absolutely love. Ah,
2: that's just him going.
0: Whoosh. It's him going extinct. <laughs> 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 it's him dying out through deforestation. No, no, it's a great little track. And he gave me, gave me a recording of it afterwards as well. So that was really nice. I've got that playing in my, uh, in my house now. So I mentioned last week that I picked up some games in the eShop sale. You did? Which I have managed to give a, a little bit of a go. I played a bit on 3000th Jewel which I've now mastered being able to say <laughs> and uh, the, the game is quite good. It's quite good. It is essentially a 2D Metroidvania Souls-like. Yep. It's, it's all right. It's certainly worth six or seven quid. It's not as hard as Dark Souls. It's quite good fun. It feels a little cheap but it's, uh, it's not bad. I'll probably continue to... To chip away at it although still plowing on with monster boy in the cursed kingdom which is is ticking my metroidvania box with a lot more efficiency at the moment the other game that i played was round guard which is this like roguelike dungeon crawler peggle type game which again i've enjoyed certainly it is exactly what it says on the tin it is a roguelike dungeon crawler <laughs> and you play it in the same way that you would play peggle it doesn't really have much else to it other than that. And, and it's good. It, it works really, really well. I mean, Peggle is great fun. It's it's satisfying setup. I'm not entirely sure that it works in the roguelike framework because an element of games like Peggle or in real life, like Pachinko style stuff, is the fact that it is partly based on luck rather than skill. So it doesn't matter how many times you play it there is going to, always going to be an element of of luck to, to whether or not you make it through and, and, and where you bounce. And I think it's less less to do with skill and getting good and, and getting further. Plus, it seems like the items that you unlock to take forward, at the end of a run, you get an item at random to then start your next run from what I've worked out. Yeah. As opposed to like accruing permanent upgrades, which I thought you would do, which I thought would, would probably be be better because then you kind of get you know get tougher and be able to sort of reach further levels and all of that so yeah so w- without that sort of sense of overall progression it doesn't quite have the sort of play one more round ability that something like say binding of isaac does or dead cells does yeah. because you know it's well i know i'm going to go through pretty much exactly the same experience again and if i do get something out of it i'll only be able to use that once and it's yeah, but it's but it's good, and I, I can see myself certainly playing it a bit more. Maybe we'll see. Uh, I know that you you've played it as well, Chris, didn't you? You picked it
1: up. I, I have, and it's a game that I really wanted to like a lot because I'm I'm a huge fan of Peggle. Peggle was a series I really really like, and for like big chunks of the time that I've played Roundguard, I I have enjoyed it, and and it's been fun, and and that's been the case. But and this is like a big underlined but there are some things i think it does that that really don't work and and like you say some of that comes from its use of like that sort of peggle framework within the the roguelike thing but but one thing i think i disagree with on on what you said about kind of the luck of something like peggle i th- i think there are elements of luck to any game like that obviously but also you you can play peggle with quite a lot of precision the more you delve into it yeah and that that comes basically because the the shape of every single peg or obstacle in peggle is readable because they have a hitbox that is essentially the edge of the item is that's where the hitbox is and and that determines collision and it means that you can sort of think really carefully about okay if i bank a shot off there i can probably get it in the free free ball bucket at the bottom or i can try and bounce across the stage and hit that thing with the same the same shot and with round guard that's that's not really the case because so many of the enemies and obstacles are not round or, or not symmetrical. They're certainly not guarding anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and because of that, their collision edge, I don't think is very well communicated. Like I would imagine they still have a central circle that essentially is is what is read from, but it's very hard to then play to that because you can't really see it. You, you don't know what you're aiming for. Also, the other, the other thing that has frustrated me is that I think Peggle was built with a level of care that a procedurally generated map just will never compete with. Yeah. So all stages in Peggle they normally have like a lovely piece of art in the background and again the obstacles and the pegs are kind of laid out in a way which like accents certain parts of that background. Uh, they have peg arrangements that give opportunities for like almost fairground thrills like around almost like a slide or a loop. Yeah. And hitting those it's like it's really satisfying. Yeah. You get a little thing pop up to say oh you're great and and you really feel like you've you've done something cool. And Round Guard can feel a bit slapdash so some of the layouts almost look like they're going to do that. But because, again, the shape of them is not that clear, you can sort of fire a shot as if you think it's going to roll around and it kind of just bounces awkwardly because it doesn't have the same sort of clear collision detection that Peggle does. Yeah. Lastly, and then I'll stop whinging, <laughs> <laughs> performance on the Switch is not that great. And, and, and this is not a huge issue, except it has that issue sometimes where Binding Wisec does it as well sometimes, where you have a player build that will basically exceed what the game expects. So in one stage, I basically, I had enough upgrades that I took one shot, hit one peg and it, then went on to kind of connect with almost the entire stage in one go. Yeah. And and because of that area of effect, it basically just broke the game. Yeah. And, and the whole thing just froze completely, like nothing updated on screen for about 20 seconds. Oh, wow. And because of that, like I could, I could hear the audio going, so I knew it was still doing something. I didn't want to turn it off. Yeah. But I could tell like it, it is seriously struggling at this point. And worst of all, far more heinously than just a freeze like that, the game crashed on me just as I beat the final boss of a run. Oh. Like two hours of a run, gone, all progress gone. Didn't have an auto save from any point in, in it, oh. and that was hugely frustrating. Yeah, that's 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 rotten. And I, I messaged the developers on Twitter. Have they got back to you? They said a patch is in certification, so it should be out in the next few days. Mm. But as with lots of things at the moment, kind of world events are, are just delaying everything. So it, it is on the horizon, and it's meant to sort out some of these problems. But. I don't know, it sort of took the wind out of my sails a bit to actually get back and and play it more. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah, I can understand that. So what I'm getting from this is that you're just a little bit pissy because you're too good at the game. Basically.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'll say this now, I, I have beaten Peggle 1 and Peggle 2. Beating every stage, knocking out every single peg. <laughs> like, I spent a lot of time at university playing the first Peggle, and then when I'd graduated and I was home playing Peggle too. So I, I put a lot of hours into both. And it, it means that you kind of, you see these issues that bit more because it's a framework that you recognise so much. Yeah. Well, there we go. What else have you played, Minty? Doom 64?
2: Not so much. We've been enjoying an iPad game called... The House of Da Vinci. Oh, that's like the like the room style ones. Yes, yes. A couple of little issues sort of movement wise because you just have to basically like either double tap a puzzle to sort of look closer at it, and as soon as you've got your nose like pressed right up against, I don't know, a hole, <laughs> it's only then that you can put the thing that goes in the hole into it. You can't just be like, oh, I'm looking at the hole of the apparatus and I can just Slot that thing into where it needs to go. Mm. I know you have to really zoom in on it, and that sort of called me out a couple of times. So, yeah, finicky movement, but solid puzzles and just a really great game. We're playing through the second one now because we beat number one today. Fantastic. Well done, you.
0: So, shall we move on to the rankings? Go on, then. Great. Starting this week, we have my game. Go on, then, Jonathan Dunn. So... My game this week is a remake of a childhood favourite of mine. Ah. I've spoken before when we've mentioned some remakes about how when you play one, you'll often think that they're not that massively improved as the image you had in your head playing the original game when you were a kid, like rounded all the rough edges and, and created a whole world of atmosphere around the Pixelated graphics and low console power. Is this the Game Boy Color release of Donkey Kong Country? <laughs> <laughs> so, the original game was a real icon of video gaming history, and I had the game on the Saturn. Oh. but it was also a big PlayStation one hit as well and then for its 10th anniversary it was remade and re-released on quite a few consoles at the time and I actually played it first on the Wii when I like briefly had a Wii for a few months before then replaying it on the on the pc it is Tomb Raider anniversary oh so the original game like I said was a, I mean it's a real icon in video gaming history Lara Croft is as recognizable video game character as Mario and Sonic these days probably and obviously the series has spawned a whole swathe of games and inspired some pretty mediocre movies but when the first game came out it was one of those like cultural must-have games much like Grand Theft Auto was when we were speaking about that the other week Chris yeah. and I was absolutely thrilled that I had a console that I could play it on which was the Sega Saturn now a quick aside and a shout out to the company who I probably put most of my pocket money into when I was growing up and this is a mail-order video gaming trading company called Megamart. Oh, okay. And they had a big list of games. It was like a, a catalogue of games that would categorise games by console into different tiers. And then if you traded a game in the same tier, you would send it off, pay about like 10 quid or something, and then they would post to you your new game. And you could also trade in games into higher tiers by paying a bit more money and, and so on and the tiers basically denoted just how new the game was really and me and my brother sourced so many of our saturn games this way and it was the only feasible way we could afford to get the games we wanted to play you know we'd we'd top up our pool of tradable games on our birthdays and christmas and then try and complete them and trade them in for for something else and this meant that we would spend an inordinate amount of time stood in the bay window of my parents' bedroom, watching for the postman in the days that followed a new order. Aww. I mean, <clears throat> veritably hopping in excitement in the hope that we might get to see the game before going off to school. And <laughs> um, then me and Alex would would fight over who got to take the manual to school with them to read. Yeah. <laughs>
2: That's so wholesome. <laughs> it's true.
0: Uh, I particularly remember waiting for Command & Conquer like this, and a few other games that are higher up on my list yet to appear. And I remember waiting for Tomb Raider like this. So, for those of you who don't know what Tomb Raider is, it's a third-person action-adventure game where you play as the intrepid archaeologist Lara Croft, hunting down some legendary MacGuffin, usually. In the first game, you're hunting down the mythical Skion of Atlantis, and you explore a whole host of different levels in a whole host of different locations around the world. You start exploring the caves and tombs of deepest, darkest Peru. Although Paddington Bear is nowhere to be seen, lots of wolves and indeed dinosaurs are. Naturally. Before you're then transported to Greece and explore, among other things, the Colosseum and the Palace of King Midas before going to Egypt and exploring the tombs of the ancients before heading to Atlantis for the final few levels of the game. It sounds like something I made up in our (laughs) April Fool's episode, but it it really is a phenomenal international adventure, and one that I actually never completed in the original game because I found the later levels of the Egypt section both very tough and very scary. I mean, all in all, I found it a pretty scary game, and, and this was down to... The atmosphere that it created—it was very sparse, and just the opening level, the first level, it was—it was quite chilling. And there was a lot of just atmospheric noise, and it meant that if you heard like a bat or something, it echoed around you, and it was chilling. I mean, there were also like jump scares, as certain enemies would ambush you. I mean, I was emulating the original yesterday and having a bit of a play on it, and I still got shivers up my spine in the first level when the music starts when the first wolf ambush happens. I mean, like you just get this. I mean, it's absolutely terrifying, and and my bumhole puckered as if I were ten years old again. Like a Pavlovian
1: response,
0: veritably slobbering to the ringing of its lupine bell. I mentioned it in the recent Patreon-exclusive boss special episode, the moment where you first see the T-Rex come round the corner in the Lost Valley level is, is one of the most exhilarating boss battle experiences I've ever had. You've just got your shotgun, and it's, it's absolutely spectacular. It's, I mean, genuinely terrifying. You don't expect to see something that big in a video game. I mean, at that point, it was like the most spectacular thing I'd, I'd certainly seen in, in any game. And all of these moments and all of these levels were brilliantly recreated in, in Tomb Raider Anniversary. And, and the atmosphere was richer than ever. As the, the soundtrack to the game is brilliant. It's by a, a Danish composer called uh, Trolls folman And he expanded it and re-recorded the soundtrack with a full orchestra, giving those twitchy cheek moments all the more gravitas. A particular shout out was to the just, just the main menu theme, which is one of my favourite pieces of video game music ever. It's just so, so beautiful. And it It's just gorgeous sounded better than ever in this one of the other great things in the game in addition to all of these levels and tombs and amazing places you explore was lara's house which became more of a feature in the later games and was significantly expanded into its own sort of standalone level in in anniversary in the original it was essentially like a tutorial sandbox where you're in croft manor and there's some gym equipment out and a swimming pool and other bits and bobs so you could get to grips with the controls but i mean it was great and it was it was always fun just like rummaging around the corners trying to find maybe if there were little secrets that were hidden in the level hoping to find something like i don't know if i mentioned it way back when when i was talking about thief the dark project in the tutorial level of that so there's a series of actions you could trigger that would allow you access to a secret basketball court in uh, <laughs> in the middle of the tutorial of, of, of thief which is ridiculous <laughs> I mean, looking back now, the controls of the game are horrendous in the original. Obviously, it was very early on in 3D gaming, and, you know, I know they did the best they could with what was available. I mean, there weren't any camera controls for a start, but to be fair, the following camera was was actually really well programmed and didn't get you in as much trouble as the controls themselves. You spoke many, many weeks back now in Burning Rangers, Chris, uh, the rudimentary camera control buttons and what a complex system it was just to to get it to work let alone actually be effective so you didn't quite have the free-flowing 3d exploration of something like super mario 64 and at times, like the movement, especially when you're doing puzzles and some of the more intricate bits, it felt more like a puzzle game or something akin to like the TV series Nightmare, where you have like sidestep left, jump back one space, <laughs> jump forward and grab, etc. Almost like you're just programming in the commands to, to navigate the terrain. And sometimes like a misplaced jump would land you in a spike pit or at the bottom of a ravine. And this was most problematic on a notorious level called St. Francis Folly, which I think was the fifth level of the game, if, if uh, memory serves me right. And this was a, a huge, tall tower that you slowly descend through its crumbling ruins, and and the amount of falls in that level were, I mean, just absolutely infuriating. And save spots in the game were quite far apart, so you'd often end up having to repeat so much of the level just because you didn't press jump on quite the right frame to stop the <laughs> bloody knobhead from careering straight off a pillar. It's, straight down to Broken Legsville I, th- I think there's there's a really clear lineage to stuff like Prince of Persia in, in Team Raider yeah oh absolutely fortunately it was the area that was probably most improved upon in the remake it controlled more like a, a modern 3D action adventure game something like actually the, like the modern Prince of Persia games Yeah. and you had a camera that you could control and you know it was just a lot more fluid and a lot more fun and you could sort of go from action to action in a bit of a string rather than sort of having to stop and, and execute each of the different actions in individually but getting to play back through all of these iconic moments and levels in team raider anniversary was it was just the most wonderful mixture of nostalgia and just genuine enjoyment because the game at its heart is so it's so good it's, it's got a great story. The action set pieces and the environments and the levels were just fantastic really awe-inspiring. And there were, I mean, so many surprises throughout the game as well. Like just when you think you've seen it all, a T-Rex comes around the corner or you're exploring a tomb of some Peruvian god or something and a velociraptor runs out of a door. There was a bit in St. Francis Folly where you went to the room of Damocles and you had these Incredibly oppressive giant swords of Damocles hanging literally from the ceiling above you that you knew were wet gonna fall at some point, but you didn't know when. <laughs> and in the uh, Colosseum level, you reached like the main arena area, and just out of the darkness, you see something. What is that? Oh, it's a gorilla charging towards you with the ferocity of, of Donkey Kong, moving more like a horse <laughs> than, a, than, a, than an ape. A gallop. But, but he was there. <laughs> Or, like, in the cistern level, which was this huge, like, ruin filled with water, you're, you're casually swimming about, thinking, oh, I'm just going to pop over there, and you spot a fucking crocodile swimming towards you from the depths. Absolutely terrifying, and it's still what I can't help but imagine every time I'm in a swimming pool. It's horrible, and it's is, is plagued me. <laughs> it's just why I... Uh, why I quit my career as an Olympic swimmer. One of the reasons I never managed to beat the game as a kid was the fact that we were always so tentative about using any of the guns that had ammo for them. So we just like kept using our standard dual pistols for the whole game, even when we'd unlocked like Uzis and the dual magnums, which you really needed to beat the enemies in the Egyptian levels, which were really really tough. But we were just like, oh no no no, we better save that. We might need it. Oh, better not. And you know even when we did need it we didn't use it and uh here we are but playing anniversary with a proper adult mind and and a more rounded knowledge of of how to play video games meant that i had a great time playing through the game to completion and once i'd beaten it on the wii i then played through it again on the pc a couple years later which was a much better experience again i mean the wii version had the usual crowbar motion controls in it which i mean to be fair weren't that bad and they did have some extra puzzles and stuff in the game exclusively for the Wii version that used the motion controls, like having to take charcoal rubbings of artifacts, which was which uh. it was it was quite nice. It was quite nice. <laughs> was quite nice uh. but...
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, playing it through on the PC was it was a much more fulfilling video game experience. And it, it's it's great that there is such a, a modern version of the game that I think will hold up for a, for a long time to come. In fact, I just managed to get the PSP version on my Vita to to have a little play on. And much in the way that I quickly eschewed the Game Boy Color version of Donkey Kong in favour of the SNES version, I'll probably ditch my attempts to replay the original Tomb Raider and just give Anniversary another (laughs) world. Because I had the original game on the Saturn and the first game is where the support for the series on the Saturn finished. It meant I never played another Tomb Raider game until the recent reboot of the series, and uh, unfortunately, Anniversary didn't sell anywhere near as well as I think they wanted. But it would be nice if they gave the anniversary treatment to Tomb Raider 2 and Tomb Raider 3 as well. But, I mean, failing that, i will probably get around to emulating the originals of those in time. Probably. Why not? Why not? But there we go. Tomb Raider Anniversary is my 43rd favourite video game of
1: all time. Do you want to have a guess as to why I never made any progress in any Tomb Raider game? Too scary. Too scary. (laughs) Too scary. Yeah. I bet you probably got to the, the first wolf ambush
0: and it, it genuinely, even now, like genuinely, it's still frightened me. It's exhilarating.
1: I, I, th- Brilliant. I think um, I played Tomb Raider 3 on the PC. So whenever I got my my home computer, that was one of the games I got quite early on. Yeah. And from memory, like this is really going back a long time. The first stage or so, there's not really any combat yeah and i quite enjoyed just like pottering about and and just like making my way through the platform puzzles and collecting things and then pretty much as soon as there was a room where it was like there's some enemies go and deal with those i was just like well it's been fun <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then that was it yeah. that was the end of my tomb raider Team raider adventure so there we go moving
0: on we have minty. minty can you please tell us about your 43rd
2: favorite video game of all time please sir I don't know if it's just a case of my becoming old and miserable or something to do with video games slightly homogenizing as developers realize what sells and milk in those formats for everything they're worth, but I haven't really felt thrilled by a video game for years and years and years. Every new game that comes out in a beloved franchise is good, but it lacks that electric newness that I felt as a little lad playing something like Pokemon Blue, Mario 64, and others we'll get to later. I also haven't salted my food since 2016. I don't bother remembering <laughs> dreams. Music is commotion, and sex is just cardio. Maybe it is me after all.
0: <laughs> Oh, gosh.
2: Speaking of homogenized video game genres, online shooters. We love them. I remember playing Halo 2 at a friend's house about 15 years ago. My hands, more accustomed to deft menu navigation and the slow burn of JRPG exploration and exposition, would continually fail me as snipers, rocketeers, and sword wielders would continually slaughter me repeatedly every match. I was terrible at it, even though it was very fun. But that headset and the voices that would spew out of it. Good lord. Good lord, man. More toxic entities than a dish sponge. I was in high school. I played video games to escape that shit. We should have just stopped at LAN parties when it came to the need to communicate with other people. Shout across the room at a friend to take the West Tower, or whatever, just leave it at that. Don't give some knob in Florida the means to call me a jackass because I drove the warthog into a wall. <laughs> well, guess what, Tyler? I'm probably more happily married than you will ever be. What, what game was I talking about? <laughs> Uh, Yeah, so yes, Uh, this week I'm talking about a game that took the idea of online shooting, removed all the avenues of horrible human interaction, and replaced the kill others with paint the floor to win. Yes! (laughs) Wonderful. A game that we first saw (laughs) in Nintendo Directs, which just looked like a console-specific shooter with a technical aesthetic, deep as the puddle you created with your ink guns. Bit of fun, and that's it. Oh, but how wrong we were. Splatoon is an extraordinary game, a wonderful experience and a real Nintendo take on a genre that's characterised by the aforementioned nadir of human online interaction, along with a really brilliant single player game added into it. Incredibly tight 3D platformer that capitalises on strong game mechanics with The best boss battles that we've seen in Nintendo games for years and years and years. They're good. I didn't want to talk about them in the bonus episode that we've just released for our Patreon subscribers so that I didn't spoil this entry. But wow, (laughs) absolutely fantastic boss battles. Like I said in the bonus episodes, they really uh, focused those... Game mechanics that uh, you're taught about in the platforming levels and sharpened them to an incredible degree. You had that big thing that looked like a toaster with a face that you had to climb up by spraying the walls to swim up the walls to hit its weak spot. That's the only one I can remember apart from the final boss, which was love that final even boss. <laughs> that was that final boss was incredible. It was. You would chase it throughout this level that was just a huge gauntlet of all the things that you'd learned how to navigate the levels in the 30 stages previously. You know, riding ink rails, scaling the walls by creating a path using the ink to climb up and sneaking past the snipers and other enemies and fighting the dreaded octolings in deathmatch combat. And then when you get to the top of the level, the boss is an evil DJ. That warps the soundtrack diegetically as you overpower it to hype itself up using your humble pea shooter to catapult his enormous robotic fists back at him to kill him. Going back to that idea of reflecting dark magic back at enemies like we see in The Legend of Zelda, it's just a fantastic, creative, lovingly created single player campaign that absolutely didn't need to be in the game based on what we were <laughs> expecting which was just a really good third person deathmatch game that had you shooting the ground instead of each other but I'll tell you the real reason I love this game is because I'm really good at it. (laughs) Uh, Or rather, it's remarkably intuitive if you take a break for a while. You're not really fighting other people, so that idea of deathmatch combat is incidental when it comes to the main objective of each match, which is uh, covering as much of the floor in your team's ink as possible. I won a match last week after not playing for about a year with an outdated equipment build and very, very rusty skills on my part. It's just a wonderfully friendly game that's really fun to play despite the subject matter that being you're somebody with a gun fighting other people for the enjoyment of others in a literal dystopian future splatoon (laughs) fantastic game really captured that newness that i've been missing for so long now wonderful loved it i really loved it as well and it's not
1: one that ranks on this list because i I don't think i ever gave the multiplayer like enough long-term time to really get involved as it were yeah but it, it did so many things well considering this was essentially nintendo's first effort any sort of online shooter it, it was remarkable like how well they nailed the control scheme to to use kind of the gyroscope to actually give you more accuracy yeah it was amazing how how like welcoming it is like you said about it's not about killing people it's not about kind of the hardcore like frags or or score in that sense and it means that you can be quite bad at it and still feel like you've made a contribution it's such a joyous game i I really really love the the splatoon series it's it's great yeah yeah i I
0: agree and i think we've said before you know it, it did to online shooting games what Mario Kart did for racing games. You know, mm. Nintendo just went, this will make it more fun and nicer. And yeah, it's it's the most I've enjoyed any game like that, playing online. Like you, Minty, I absolutely loved the single player. Really, really loved it. And when I got Splatoon 2, I played the single player stuff and, and traded it back in because... <laughs> <laughs> I just like you Chris I didn't quite get yeah. gripped by the, the the online stuff as much even though it was brilliant I enjoyed the online stuff on the first one mainly because it was when me and you were living together minty yes and so we would watch each other play or we'd more than we'd play with each other and that was that was great I loved watching you I remember I remember like a couple of days after it came out and I remember you coming in and, and saying to me just like you know I think I'm shit hot at this, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it was it was such an out of character uh, display of uh, of of not confidence but certainly arrogance that uh, <laughs> I, I knew I, I knew it must be true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, great memories, lovely mems. So, lastly, but not leastly, we have Chris. Can you please tell us about
1: your forty third favorite video game, please, sir? I'd love to today. If you asked me what I thought about FIFA games, generally, I'd say with a big, deep breath preceding it, <laughs> they're, they're fine. <laughs> they're fine. And and if someone says to me these days, like if I'm at a friend's house or a party or whatever, do you, do you want a game of FIFA? I'd probably say, yeah, okay. <laughs> in, in just a kind of like total non-committal sense. And then the first thing I would ask, though, is... How do you change to uh, alternative controls? Because <laughs> the only football series I've ever truly cared about is Pro Evolution Soccer. Ah. Now, the, the first Pro Evo was another one of what I've mentioned before the holy tetralogy of games that came with my PlayStation 2. Oh, ah, yeah. So, me and my brother, that Christmas, like I've said before, we, we've had Grand Theft Auto, that's been on the list already. We've had Time Crisis. That I had Time Crisis 2 on the list and now we have the third one from that group which is Pro Evo. Now the particular entry on my list actually goes to Pro Evo 6 on the Xbox 360 for reasons I'll go into in a little bit but I do have fond memories of pretty much the entire series up to that point. Now FIFA as a series of football games has always been obsessed with essentially aspiring to like the gloss and glamour of, of Sky Sports-style presentation. yeah, And and it was always FIFA that had the team and player likenesses. It was FIFA who had commentators you actually recognised from TV rather than kind of like local radio. Uh, they had the money to do all this stuff. And, and Pro Evo would really include more than maybe one of these things in, in its yearly update. But it always seemed to beat out FIFA, at least back then, in terms of just pure gameplay and enjoyment until the late noughties. Pro Evolution Soccer was slick. It was fast, and and it straddled the line between slightly more arcadey action and simulation really effortlessly. At its most simple, I think Pro Evo was always fun, even in like the fallow years when FIFA may have secured the the lucrative World Cup license, but it was still Pro Evo that, despite not having the flash or the glamour, it was so much quicker to play. It was never as sluggish as FIFA felt back then. Now, I I played Pro Evolution Soccer for years against my brother on the PlayStation Two. And we would play competitively, even though I was absolutely shocking at the game and he was some, like, digital footballing lord. (laughs) The the one and only time that I ever beat Tom was uh, after I'd ground out a nil-nil draw at the end of uh, Extra Time... And then it went to penalties. And when I sunk the winning shot, I leapt out my seat just as Tom smashed his controller into the floor, sending like pieces of shock all over the lounge. <laughs> uh, and it remains the sweetest victory of any competitive game I've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> because it, was, it wasn't just a sense of like, oh, we've been trying for a few weeks and I finally tipped the balance. This was like five years, <laughs> like playing Pro Evo, like not consistently, but on and off that whole time. And I honestly don't think I won a game prior to that against him. Now, fast forward to the Xbox 360 and Pro Evolution Soccer 6 would be the first entry of the series in full high definition. And that game had a yellow cover showcasing Brazil's Adriano in a glowing international kit uh, and for me remains absolutely iconic. Like... It made sense naturally that Adriano in this game was absolutely unplayable because he was the cover star. And my only comparison point really for that is when my brother and I played FIFA 11 years later, turned the stats of all of our players to 100 and then won a game as Man City (laughs) (laughs) 98-0. Every single shot went in. You, You cannot be dispossessed. You're quicker than every other player on the field. Now, Pro Evolution Soccer 6 featured achievements, as games did on 360, and it released at a time when I was obsessed over Gamer Score, like above all else in video games. There was kind of like a four or five year period where I'd play absolute dog shit just because it meant that my Gamer Score would go up. And I'm, I'm pleased that I, I got out of that phase, but at the time, that was what I was doing. And, and me and Tom at that time, we milked all 1,000 Gamer Score from Provo 6, which meant that we had to beat every single league, we had to beat every single cup, and we also had to win 100 games online. And this goes back to this idea that using Adriano for this task was key.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so playing online, there was no other choice to make on the team select screen outside of either Brazil or Inter Milan. If your opponent chose a different squad, you were almost guaranteed a win. <laughs> if you both chose a side that featured Adriano, it became like a battle of wits. Like, who could feed their man first? How audacious are you feeling? you Are going to shoot from 40 yards? Fair chance of a goal, top bins.
2: 50 <laughs> yards? Fair
1: chance of a corner. Might as well give it a blast. Like, people often talk as well about, um, like, shithousery in, in modern football. And and it's basically just players doing the utmost to wind up the opposition or, or opposition fans. And Pro over 6 online, I think, is the first time I'd say I was conscious of this football-specific trolling, even if the term hadn't really been coined yet until a few years on. If you scored a goal, you controlled the replay and it meant that sometimes you could be magnanimous and quickly restart to give your opponent a bit of respite and, and let them try again or you could just be an absolute prick and, and run the full 60 second timer down just rotating slowly around Fabian Barthez's eyes as an Adriano Rocket sailed past his eyeline it, it was never not funny <laughs> in, in every game we played every goal gave you the opportunity to be a dick and it was, it was always, always funny the game's online servers for the time were, were pretty functional like most games played okay but it was still a time when not everyone had good internet you know we're talking like broadband was was mainly rolled out across across the country but that wasn't the case everywhere so sometimes you'd have games that were pretty ropey and at worst this would mean that that games could hang forcing you just to restart the console completely now players realized pretty early on as we did that if you quit out of a freeze you'd get a loss recorded on your profile and if your opponent quit you'd get a win so we found that grinding out 100 victories for the trophy and and the achievement wasn't easy but it did bring me kind of like incalculable amounts of joy knowing that a few of those triumphs came from from winning these online stalemates yeah as soon as the netcode would fuck up you'd always get an Xbox Live message calling you a cheater which was lovely in itself (laughs) uh, which made it all the sweeter than one particular game it it froze we got the message someone kind of sent us a load of abuse and then we left the console on overnight (laughs) meaning that the accusers xbox was physically just (laughs) held hostage for for almost 24 hours and (laughs) until they disconnected the next morning and again we had like a string of messages across xbox live just like the abuse (laughs) ramping up and up and it was like well i've got nothing else on today so I, i can afford to do other stuff uh it's great it's really, really great. I love Pro Evo 6 so, so much for these memories. And it remains the only modern sports game that I've bothered keeping in the last decade or so. So out of all the games I've still got now, the, the thousands of games on shelves, Pro Evo is one of the only ones I've kept. And it's unlikely that I'm ever going to really pull it out to play that much. But it feels like it's a talisman of how good games can be with the right setting. Yeah. As a final little story, when I first graduated, you might remember this, Jonathan, I'm sure I told you at the time, I, I moved home from, from university, came back to Kent, then through a variety of kind of iffy decisions moved in with a girl that that didn't work out but that's 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 another story not particularly relevant for pro evo but within a few weeks of living together first few weeks we got robbed and i basically had all of my consoles and games and technology stolen so overnight i lost my 360 my playstation 3 my psp my ds my macbook just everything gone in one hit and for a good while the the only thing i had to play was a playstation 2 that my good friend Gene Limbrick was nice enough to send down to me. Good man. And alongside that, I bought a copy of Provo 5. So going backwards in time, because I'd always already played a lot of 6 at this point. 5 being the final sort of pre-HD entry of the franchise. And for, for weeks, my routine was essentially, I would cycle to the library in the morning to apply for jobs, as I had no money. <laughs> I had no internet. I had no employment. Then I'd cycle to my parents' house to, to scrounge some lunch. And then almost every afternoon, I'd either go to the gym with my brother or he'd come over and we'd play Provo for an hour or so. At the time, there was there was no Adriano Screamers because I think the, the cover stars were Henri and John Terry that year. John Bl- <laughs> you,
0: I'm sorry, you cannot put John Terry on something with,
2: with Thierry. Yeah,
0: Al- the two of them. Oh, awful, I feel it? sick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like a... At the time, though, that is awful. It, it was still a little escape during a time of change and frustration and, and everything else. And for that reason, this game ranks incredibly highly for me. And really, this, this entry is for, for Tom, for my brother, because across all these things, he's, he's always been there. He's always made me laugh. And he's always kept me sane in, in some kind of like the hardest times of my life. And Pro Evolution Soccer, I think, has run through a lot of those memories. Yeah. So, yeah, 43, Pro Evo six. Adriano. (laughs) Amazing. That's wonderful. I love it. So, there we
0: have it. Another three games. First of all, we had Tomb Raider Anniversary. And then we had... Splatoon. Before finally... Pro Evolution Soccer 6. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on social media, tell your friends, leave us a review. If you want to get more involved in what we're doing, then please check us out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash our three cents and chat with us. You can ask us questions that you might like us to answer in future episodes, or you can take us to task on our opinions about these games, or just let us know what you're playing. You can even reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. And Clement underscore Boo. Boo. And also don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, which Chris has been populating with some fantastic video entries. A little series called Hard Drop chronicling the history of various tetris spin-off games that you may never have heard of it's really really good i'd highly recommend it and there is some more video content coming all the time so subscribe to that as well if you please and if you really really enjoy what we're doing please do check out our patreon page patreon.com forward slash our three cents pledge a little bit of money to help us keep growing the podcast and uh, and doing more and we will see you next time for our 42nd favourite video games of all time
1: Zidane
0: Zidane (laughs) he's a good guy he is unlike John fucking Terry cunt
1: (laughs) in this quarter on the Greenlit Podcast Network Chris Sims and Matt Wilson and in this quarter VHS Oddities confusing animation and
2: modern not so classics Plus, snacks, movie fighters. We watch movies and beat them up. Video Death Loop is a podcast where we watch a short video clip on Loop until we just can't take it anymore. Along the way, we'll try our best to make each other laugh and to hold out longer than the other guy. You can jump in on any episode, no need to worry about continuity. Check out Video Death Loop on the Greenlit Podcast Network with new episodes every Friday.